0: Welcome to The Lead Podcast, helping you to get it, grow it, and give it. All right. Hey, everyone. I am Ryan Becker, back with another episode of The Lead Podcast. And I'm here with Myron Edmonds, who, man, a man who pretty much needs no introduction. But Myron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking about your journey.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's jump right into this. Um A lot of people may know who you are, and they may have seen you speak at different events and things like that, but they may not actually know kind of your story and where you're at now. So tell us uh, just where are you now, um, and and what church are you pastoring, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, sure. I am pastoring the Grace
0: Community
1: here in Cleveland, Ohio, and I've been here now since uh, 2009. So um, I'm the lead pastor. I have a staff of two other pastors, an administrative pastor and a worship pastor, and uh, we've, had, uh, we've had quite a journey since we've been here.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So you recently pulled off an incredible move, uh, one that is not, ex- is not exactly the smoothest transition in the world, kind of because of your context. So tell us, why did you decide to move your church, and, and, and what is that story?
1: Yeah, this, is, uh, this has been uh, probably one of the uh, greatest learning experiences of my life. Um, making a move the way we did um, takes so much out of you as a leader. And I, I don't think I realize that. And I'm just kind of saying this in a preamble to answer your question. Because uh, I think people need to count the cost. When, when you go about the work of trying to reach lost people, Uh, when you go about the work of of ministry and mission, um, if you are really dedicated and committed to it, there's no way in the world that you don't lose something in the process. And so for, for me, I found myself most recently uh, sitting in a counselor's office, uh, getting necessary therapy and I'm being dead serious uh, because I didn't realize Mm. how much a transition of this magnitude could take out of you. And it wasn't so much the physical strain of it all. Uh, I work out four times a week, Uh, you know, I try to eat well, but I found myself feeling fatigued, tired, worn out. And I think what it is, is is nine years of trying to bring about change. So in short, I'll answer your question this way. This all began because when I got here to this church, it was, um, a mother church of the conference uh, it was sort of the who's who church of our conference here in ohio uh all of your uh major uh, names that you would name drop in a conversation great adventist evangelist, black adventist evangelist, pastored this church walter pearson Henry wright uh, cd brooks ee uh, e. cleveland's brother hl cleveland so there was a mystique there was a legacy there was history Uh, when I came to pastor this church it had planted about six other churches in the area. So there was, they had a level of, of pride about them. Yet when I got here, um, it was um, about 250 people coming where they were used to having about 600 attend. Um, Over the years, um, mainly because they were a traditional conservative Seventh-day Adventist church. They'd lost a lot of their young people. They'd lost a sense of purpose and mission. And so when I got there, I was brought in by conference president for the express purpose to bring about change. Now, I think that's a very critical piece to gather. Um, I had a lot of conference support um, in terms of what I was brought in to do. And that really helped us to get to a place where we are now. You asked a question about the move. I think the move is just a part of the entire story. Uh, but that's mm. that's mainly the present, uh, that's the present where we are now. We moved. But what we were really trying to do, and, um, you know, I, I say this with all sincerity, it was less about trying to be progressive, see hip, reach millennials. Um, we just had a desire, based on Ellen White's statement in Ministry of Healing, to, to, as she says, Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. And, bro, I just wanted, I wanted to be successful in reaching people. And part mm. of that success meant that there was a price to be paid. There was sacrifices that had to be made, things we had to lose, uh, lose adjustments that had to be made in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. Part of it was the move, but there's so much, there's so much more to the story of that.
0: Absolutely. So when you say we had this desire, who is the we? Is it just the pastoral staff, the the church leadership team, or was it the church as a whole?
1: i say it was a little bit of everybody. It was, um, at the time, it was just me. I didn't have a staff. Uh, There were individuals in the church, certainly not all, but there were individuals in the church who wanted something. They didn't know what they wanted, but they wanted change. Um, There was a community around us that desired a church that we wanted. I think sometimes we miss, uh, we miss that opportunity. People are actually looking for what we have. They just don't know it. Um, I tell people all the time, the church exists for people who don't know, um, uh, you know, who who are not yet a part of it. So there was, yeah, there was a, there was a craving, um, from young adults. There was a craving for um, at least the young adults that were left. There were cravings from parents with lost young people. There were cravings from, from others who just, who really wanted the church to be back in prominence? They didn't necessarily want ministry; they just wanted the perks that come with being a church. That's about mission, which is prominence, attention, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, as you began as you began leading through through change and and trying to become the church that that you felt called to become, uh, what was the resistance like, and and what was the support that you had like?
1: Well, great question. So. In short, this is really what caused a lot of the pushback. There are really about uh, two or three things, three things that caused the pushback. Remember, my main goal when I get there is to create a church culture that loves the mission of Jesus Christ, period. That is passionate about fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. In the process of doing that, there were three main events that represent uh, three main, I think, principles that caused a lot of the pushback that we get. Uh, first was outreach. We began doing outreach activities, untraditional, non-traditional activities on Sabbath. Uh, the first time we did this, we did a back-to-school block party, passed out school supplies. We had like 1,300 people from the community to come and attend this event and only they pushed back on the uh, as a to three people. And that was the first um, time of pushback. The second one was leadership development. Pulling uh, people that were looked over uh, left out and deemed essentially damaged goods, such as young young people, young adults, um, people in the church who had been uh, who had may have committed sin in in, in times past publicly, but, uh, was in, still in church, but were treated as uh, anathema. I mean, essentially, we did what Jesus did. We recruited disciples, and no, they didn't all have it together but they did have a passion submission. And as they the leadership, that caused more pushback from members. Uh, the third thing that caused pushback uh, was the church move. We moved from our location where we had been for 60 years to another location. And wow. that's, that's the story that everybody talks about. That was, that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, and of course, that only happens after you've been working very intentionally to change in other areas. That definitely, yeah, I can see that. Can you Now, you cut out for a second in that answer. Can you go back over the, the resistance that came from the block party?
1: Okay, so we, we, we caught a lot of resistance from some of our outreach initiatives. We began to use Sabbath as a day of outreach. And honestly, a lot of it was inspired. You know, it's funny people kind of tab me as being this, you know really liberal and you know too progressive. You know, a lot of the ideas <laughs> I get, man, I get, I get them. I get them from Spirit of Prophecy. I mean, I get them from Ellen White. You know, Ellen White. Yeah. You know, delineates how Jesus used to use the Sabbath uh, to do outreach, uh, and the Bible records that the majority of uh, the majority of the, the healings that are recorded of Jesus, uh, the majority of them happen on Sabbath. I thought there was something to that, that Sabbath is not only a day where we experience rest, but where we extend rest. And so we did this we started doing a series of block parties and things of that nature, outreach events, meeting the needs of people on Ellen White's statement that Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. So we began to use Sabbath as a day to reach people. Um, And that caused a lot of pushback from some of the members because they felt that it was not reverencing Sabbath.
0: Wow, gotcha. Okay, so so as you as you went through some of these changes, kind of what happened numbers wise with the church?
1: Well, for for I'd say so for the first four years that I was there, I had a relative honeymoon. It was pretty much a honeymoon because we did not make we did not make any changes uh, really at all. It wasn't until we started the the outreach approach. So we didn't really lose members. There were a few that were unhappy, and they kind of said, uh... We're not feeling this, uh, and and you know a few left. But the thing that really caused the shakeup in the congregation was when we when we moved. That's what caused mm. us to lose. And I think I, I would say, out of all of the people that um, were attending our church, uh, I, I think we lost somewhere between thirty five to to forty uh, members uh, with the move. And I probably should explain that uh, when, you, when you're ready.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, you can, you can actually, you can go ahead and explain it now. That's fine.
1: Okay, so there was never a desire for us to move from our location in the first place. Uh, we were in a neighborhood called Glenville, it was, which is the name of the church. Uh, the church had been there 60 years. Um, our initial plans were because there were 31 churches on the street that our church was in. Can you imagine that? 31 other churches, all
0: right? Wow. Uh,
1: of all different denominations. And we weren't really standing out. You know, a lot of people assume that because you're Adventist, your theology will cause you to stand out. But when you're dealing with people, especially in an impoverished neighborhood, people that don't really go to church, uh, your theology is not what stands out. It's your activity that stands out. And so yeah. we, have since our activity, the only difference was that it was happened on Saturday. Uh, we took up parking spaces, and we showed up, dressed up, and we left. So I kind of had this feeling that other members had that, you know, we need to really start getting engaged in the community and, and we need to provide and offer something to the community other than a sanctuary and a fellowship hall. Um, what does the community need? And we did research and the community's number one request based on the PerceptNet link to lead website, uh, demographic website, was that they were looking for recreational ministries. So we were like, we get it. This is an impoverished neighborhood. There's a lot of uh, violence and drugs and gangs and kids dropping out. They need a place for their children to go, um, uh, to occupy their time, to give them something constructive. Let's build a community center with a gymnasium, et cetera. So the short story is that as we began to try to figure out how to expand in the neighborhood, we were landlocked. We looked at adjacent properties one by one. And this is the short story the doors closed all around us every door closed for us to get properties around us the last straw was that our city councilman told us that we could not renovate our current location because um they were tabbing the building as a historic landmark and when your building is a historic landmark you cannot really adjust anything except the interior so We were praying all the way through this process saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And so then one from the congregation who actually was a detractor, one of my elders who actually was a detractor, suggested that we look elsewhere. So the idea did not even come from me. So uh, we started looking. We found a location. And uh, we ended up purchasing this location. The crazy thing is, is, let me say this, man. Anytime you decide to do something that is about reaching lost people and about fulfilling the mission of Christ. God's hand of favor is on you. I'm telling you, man, God worked miracles for us. Doors were closed, but miracles opened. We bought a 120,000 square foot former Kmart building. The previous, uh, um, the previous church before us that was interested in the building actually made an offer. The building was being asked for, for 2.2 million dollars. This other church offered 1.8, and they turned, and the owners of the building turned them down. We then said, God, if you want us, and this was through prayer, everything was bathed in prayer, man, and fasting. We said, Lord, if you Absolutely. want us to have this building, if you want us to have this building, we're going to offer the most ridiculous price within reason. And if they accept it or get close to it, we're going to trust that your hand is with us. A previous church, remember, offered 1.8 million, and they were turned out. We prayed, we offered 750000 We ended up closing the deal on the building for about $890,000 and purchased the building. It was incredible. What? Incredible. <laughs> what? Bro. Wow. It was amazing. And, and so little by little, and these are just, I mean, I could write a book, bro. But little by little, these, oh, I things, it. these things were happening. God's hand of favor was leading us from where we were from, to where we needed to be. But the issue was, is we still were in our present location. And, and we, and the other building was out of sight, out of mind. Um, and so we were having a hard time raising funds so we could renovate the building. And so the leadership team said to me, pastor, I think, and I had already been praying about this, but I said, God, if this is something, if this is you, because this is professional suicide. I'm like, Lord, if this is you, <laughs> then you've got to move somebody on the leadership team to make this recommendation and lo and behold. One of my key leaders said, Pastor, I think we need to consider selling this building sooner than later and moving to a temporary location where the new building is. So
0: literally, that's incredible. sell the
1: building, sell the building, and go like Abraham to a place I will show you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, well, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, for real. That's crazy.
1: so no bro, um, man. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what so, ends up happening. Right.
0: So let's, let's shift now from the church. That gives people some context for kind of what was going on. So what happened in your heart during this process?
1: Oh, man. I think along the journey, I was so passionately committed and involved to seeing the vision come to pass. But I think what I did not realize is how much this kind of stuff takes out of you. When you are trying to fight these battles, when you are investing a lot of prayer energy, uh, when you're investing a lot of, uh, of emotional energy, uh, it takes a toll on your family. Uh, the criticism, uh, the members leaving, uh, all of these things, you, you, you think that you're strong enough to handle. But over time, man, this stuff just, it just takes out of you. And I'm at a place right now where I realize, and I have to apologize to my associate pastors, after nine years of doing this, I'm like, man, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. I heard one person say that you should only do one turnaround church in your pastoral life because of how much it takes out of you. This has taken so much out of me in terms of, you know, just the emotional and spiritual energy that you have to pour into this thing. So if there's anybody listening and you're considering doing this, uh, you really and when you're doing church revitalization, you must count the cost. Satan does not want it to succeed, and he will throw and 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 try to thwart every uh forward step that you're making towards making a church where lost people would want to come to.
0: Mm. wow, that's powerful so what what do you think outside of now we've talked about the cost? Um, what are, you know, a couple, one or two major lessons that you learned through this, whether they were practical lessons or spiritual lessons?
1: Yeah, very good question, man, actually. A that I'm still processing right now. I'd say, uh, there, I'll give you a practical and spiritual. The spiritual one I would suggest to you is, and this is going to sound weird, um, take vacation. It doesn't sound spiritual, but it is, man. I think... You will get to a point when you're investing so much energy in doing, especially as a pastor, because part of your job is to read your Bible, to study, and to pray. Um, I used to feel guilty taking naps. I used to feel guilty uh, relaxing with my family because I, I always had this over my head. That I've got to finish this. People are hoping that we're going to fail. I've got to get it done. There's souls to be reached. There crisis to be managed. Uh, But I I didn't realize that I'm much better off working smarter instead of harder. And I've learned the importance of resting, of taking Sabbath. You know, we work on Sabbath. But I'm talking about the Adventist pastor Sabbath, which is taking vacation and taking uh, spiritual retreats and things of that nature. The other thing I would say is is having, you cannot do this stuff by yourself. Now, when I say that, I'm not necessarily having a pastoral staff. But what I've found is, is God will always put people in our lives to help us to go through this journey together. And we need to utilize them and lean on them to help us, see, to help see us through. And, and let me say this. I know that there's some emphasis on young adults. What I have found is, is if you desire a homogeneous church, which is to say you want a church full of young adults or full of older people, you're going to fail. <laughs> We've got to have, When you're when you're doing the heavy lifting of bringing about this kind of radical change, I've realized the importance of no longer desiring a certain kind of member in terms of demographics. I used to want that. What I want now is I want commitment. (laughs) I want a committed spiritual person. Some of the people who have been the most ardent supporters have been 80 year old saints. Some of the people who have been some of the most disappointing leaders have been young adults who are inconsistent and you can't count on. But then vice versa, it's been the same. Some of my most ardent supporters have been young adults. And so the, the issue is not really the age, it's the spirit of a person who is just Absolutely. committed to the cause of Christ. You've got to have that, and you've got to lean on those people to help see you through this without trying to do it all by yourself.
0: Absolutely. one of my One of my most active members is an older woman that can't really do anything physically anymore. And I found out from kind of a a church uh issue we were working through a conflict we were working through i found out that this woman i did not know this but every single sabbath if if someone's not there she's the one that calls them and calls them relentlessly until they pick up and she gets an answer from them on why they didn't show up and what's going on and and she is like one of the best and biggest prayer warriors and and uh one of my most active members when it comes to actually keeping other members calm and sane and and committed um, and if you just saw her on Sabbath morning, you just see her sitting in her pew doing her own thing. Uh, it's just crazy how sometimes your biggest allies and some of your most strongest members uh, and people in your life are people that you wouldn't actually have batted an eye at before.
1: Absolutely. Oh, man. Sometimes so, you get to a church and you see what appears to be the obvious supporters. Uh, you know, the, the young family, the physician, uh, the elder who's got his own business. Uh, the real savvy, uh, progressive young adult. What I have learned is is that generally, whoever I expect initially to be a supporter, to be spiritual, I've generally been wrong. If you're there long enough, you, the Lord will begin to show you the seven thousands that have not bowed their knee to bail. Uh, quiet people behind the scenes uh, that have supported the ministry financially, supported it through prayer. There's one lady that, that I was just interacting with today. She's 80 years old. Um, and I asked her, I said, why did you make this move? Why didn't you stay with the others that stayed at the other building? And she said to me, I don't want to stay where I know what to expect. She says, I would much rather go to see what the end's going to be. Oh man. Wow. (laughs) Oh, oh, it's incredible, man. I mean, and so you work for these kind of people, you, you, you endure the, the persecution if you please, and the um the the criticism when you have saints like that that have joined you in the pursuit of creating a church that reaches people for Jesus Christ man i mean I, I love it
0: absolutely that's crazy all right so let's let's now move if if let's talk about pastors who are beginning the journey of leading their church through significant change and revitalization what advice would you give to them who are starting that journey
1: absolutely um i think collaboration is the most important thing. Okay. So what I, uh, what I mean by that is, is some people suggest you should, you should hold your vision. You shouldn't share it. You know, I think the principle there is that there's timing, right? What I have yeah. found is that a lot of times, even if it's just a few people, God will confirm what's in your spirit to accomplish in the lives of other people in the church. There's got to be one. And I know some of you pastoring smaller congregations. I used to pastor three congregations in Tennessee before I came here. And even in a church where I had a bunch of antagonizers, there was always one or two people who were spiritual people that God confirmed that thing in. Because remember, you cannot go at that thing by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. I think the other thing that I would love to, to share is just the importance of maintaining a prayer life. I'm telling you, man, and I'm not just talking about your personal prayer life. I'm talking about bathing every move, every shift in prayer. The other thing is, is educate before you make changes. Educate before you make changes, and I, especially, especially if there's Seventh Day Adventist pastors that are listening to this. And I know there's this new this I mean, the guys are you know new school now, and you. But you cannot shift an Adventist church. I'm talking about church revitalization right now. You can't really shift an Adventist church if you are not adept with the spirit of prophecy. Because most of the problems that you're dealing with in your church, people have used to have weaponized Ellen White in order to create the bad culture that you have. So a lot of times to counteract that, you have got to skillfully use the spirit of prophecy to unlearn all the bad stuff that they've learned. And I'm telling you, man, I have grown to appreciate Ellen White Especially in Adventist Church, because she has been my most ardent supporter in bringing about some of the radical, missional changes that we have made. That's another thing wow. that they've got to learn. And one more thing I want to say here, and there's so many I could share. Absolutely. You, you've got to preach the word, you've got to be ready in the pulpit. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry here, I'm a little old school on this, but I think change is led in many of our Adventist congregations in the pulpit. You've got I mean that's where a lot of the teaching and the unlearning and the relearning of the mission of Christ and how things are to be done when a man or a woman has prayed has prepared has labored over the word and is ready to preach God's word when he stands or he she or she stands in the pulpit on Sabbath on Wednesday night whenever the opportunity even on board meetings I use board meetings every opportunity business meetings I'm finding ways to cast vision, but, I, but you've got to do it skillfully through the Word. And you don't have to be the greatest preacher ever, but you need to be ready and prepared and be very strategic in what you're doing in order to lead people through change.
0: Hmm. Thank you for those. Those are, those are really good. I, I really like those and resonate a lot with those. Um, it's when, I, when I put my vision out for my church district, I, I formatted some of my mission uh, objectives with kind of like our fundamental beliefs I have a title, a paragraph description, and then like a whole slew of verses uh, that supported it, and and that took care of some of the most ardent dissenters and and antagonists, because they went, oh, this is biblical. That's right. <laughs> and, and like, so being being very knowledgeable in what you're doing is and, and edu- being able to educate them is huge. Couldn't agree more. Um, so let's now let's shift to those pastors who are uh, in the trenches of change right now. Um, what word of encouragement might you have for them who are just fighting it out right now and just trying to figure out where God is leading them and 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 just trying to hold on?
1: Oh man, listen here. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Let me tell you right now. Listen, all of you, especially who are in the heat of this thing and you're about ready to quit, you can't quit. I'm gonna tell you why you can't quit because Satan sees what's about to go down. He, I'm telling you right now, he can sense that God is about to do something. And the battle always rages strongest just before the victory comes. You cannot quit. You cannot allow people to discourage you. Let me tell you something. One of the things I've learned that Satan is most effective with, with pastors. It's not women. It's not money. You know, they, they, say, they, you know, they, they always talk about money and, and women and wine. You know, that's that the whole thing. No, 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 no. What I found is that Satan is most effective when he can bring about discouragement. He wants to discourage you. He wants somebody to send you a text after a sermon that wastes you for a week and you don't want to get out of bed. He wants something to happen, some criticism, some fire that you've got to put out to sap you of your spiritual energy, to take it away from the energy of reaching lost people, casting vision, empowering leaders. But I'm telling you right now, if it's bad right now, it's only because Satan knows that he is getting ready to lose. You cannot quit. You've got to hang in there it's going to work itself out after a while. One of the things that amazes me is we are followers of Christ. Christ is my favorite pastor, but many of us don't want to suffer. We don't want to suffer at all and lead people through change. It is impossible to do this work, which is spiritual warfare in its nature, and expect that you're not going to experience any opposition. You ought to expect that if you are doing this high and holy work of redeeming souls from the pits of hell— that all of hell is going to try to prevail against you. But the word has promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. You cannot quit. You cannot lose your head. And when you do, you got to take those Sabbaths. You got to take those vacations. You got to gather yourself around some friends and some accountability partners that you pray with to keep your head level. If you lose the vision, I like how Sidney Brooks says, and I'll end with this. He says that the clock tower is off. A thousand watches will tick in error if the clock tower is off. Like the leader has got to keep his head.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And I, I, wow, <laughs> that was really good. Thank you for that. And, and um, this, this is, this is certainly one of the hardest works. Um, and it's why they say, if you're not called to be a pastor, like, whew, this is hard Absolutely. and it's real. And so thank you for that encouragement. Um, I'm not even in that specific scenario, and that was encouraging for me. So I um, very much appreciate it.
1: Can, um, I, can I just as, add one more thing? Just one, I know we're pressing yeah, time, but just one, one more thing. Um, one of the things that really got me through this thing, I have a collection of friends, and we have a text thread, and we transparently share the things we're going through. I mean, we talk about sermon, hmm. sermons that we're preaching. We talk about struggles that we're having with members. We're getting advice from one another. Uh, we're talking one another off the ledge, as it were. I mean, literally. I mean, keeping one another from quitting, encouraging one another. But I mean, I, honestly, I can't tell you where I'd be if I did not have my network of friends and supporters in the ministry. There are so many of you out here. And I'm going to tell you, you will fail in this. You will fail as an Adventist pastor. If you do not have friends, if you do not have supporters, yeah. if you do not have a network, some Jonathans for every David, I don't know where I'd be if I did not, especially going through the things that we've gone through. If I did not have individuals that would pray with me, that would encourage me, that were going through the same thing, you've got to have that.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yep. So let, I have a I have a, a couple text threads with some really good friends of mine, and I, I know that feeling well. Uh, thank you so much, Myron, for your time on here. Let me just uh, ask this last thing as we as we kind of head out. Um, any final thoughts, anything you want to leave people with, um, our, our pastors with, anything at all?
1: Sure, man. Um, what we're fighting against, brothers and sisters, and we've got to keep this thing in perspective. A lot of people criticize the work of church revitalization, especially the members that are the recipients of it because they are afraid of change, okay? Don't demonize them. Don't get angry at them. And some of them will act downright demonic. Some of them are being used by the devil. But I just want to remind you of a passage of Scripture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. These individuals need the gospel just as much as the world needs the gospel. These individuals need the, the ministry of righteousness by faith and grace. Just as much. God has not only called you simply just to reach lost people, but God has called you to, outside of the church, but God has called you to reach some of the unconverted and lost people in your church. Be patient with them. Be patient with them, but continue to press forward. Love them, hmm. but continue to press forward. Do not allow their antics to cause you to demonize them. I've seen some of the worst saints turn around because I loved them the same way Jesus loved his disciples who didn't get anything until after Pentecost. I just want to leave that with them. Yeah.
0: Love it. Thank you so much, Myron. Thank you for this conversation. It's been a great fun. Uh, It's been great getting to know you a bit. And this has been amazing. So thank you so much, man. We'll continue praying for you and your journey and your church as well.
1: Praise God, man. Thank you.
0: So there's my conversation with Myron Edmonds. I hope that you were encouraged by this. If you are dealing with a similar struggle or transition and trying to figure out where God is calling you or how he is calling you, then I hope this helps shed some light for you, encourage you on your journey, or, you know, just give you something Uh, to connect with Uh, myron thank you again for coming on if you're listening to this and to all of our listeners thank you for being on this journey with us on the lead podcast if you want to subscribe you can find us on itunes stitcher and most podcatching apps and if you subscribe to us on itunes please leave a review that really helps us out and we're always doing cool giveaways for those who do leave a review You can find us online at theleadpodcast.com. And if you have any comments, questions, or feedback for us, you can email us at leadsupodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Ryan180Becker or Roger on Twitter, which is Leadsu. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.